Amen. All right, if you will turn to the New Testament book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to begin uh, in this chapter tonight. We're going to be in this chapter for a, a few weeks at least. And what I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to read through the first 13 verses, which are verses we're all going to cover at some point. We're not going to cover them all this evening, but I do want to read those. They'll give us the, the framework and the foundation as we begin this study on prayer. Uh, tonight, the subject is very simply why and how we pray. Why and how we pray. And uh, if I was to ask a question tonight, uh, why we pray, we would uh, no doubt come up with a lot of different answers. We'd have a lot of different uh, responses. And then if I was to ask further, how do we pray, uh, that would also lead to uh, various uh, answers as to how we are to pray. Well, Matthew 6, along with some other passages, uh, does not leave those things to our guessing. They actually give us a picture of what prayer, how we pray, and why we pray. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 1. Of course, this is uh, the Lord speaking here. It says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray... Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Again, as I mentioned, our subject this evening is why and how we pray. There's a couple of assumptions and a couple of expectations that the Lord uh, gives us here. Number one, the Lord, by these words, clearly expected his disciples to pray. He expected his disciples to pray. We ought to think about that tonight and understand that as his followers, the Lord also rightly assumes and expects that we should pray. Uh, Thomas Watson said this about prayer. He said, prayer is the key of heaven. The Spirit helps faith to turn this key. Now, if the Lord expects us to pray, and the Lord assumes that we'll pray, what are some things that may prevent us from praying? 
Well, number one, and again, this will kind of set the foundation for a number of weeks in this study. Sadly, our desire to pray is often hindered by personal sin. Our desire to pray is often hindered, or we might even say crushed, by personal sin. Personal sin leads us to forget his goodness. Personal sin leads us to forget his unmerited grace. Personal sin leads us to forget about his glorious redemption. Now, a reason that we ought to be expected to pray is because God has ordained it and he has instituted it. So here we have this privilege of prayer that can be hindered by our own personal sin, but we also have an expectation that God expects his followers to pray. Now, in the context of Matthew chapter number six, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount spans from Matthew 5 into the first half of Matthew chapter number 7. This is part of the Lord's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's also referred to, and you may have, uh, have grown up hearing it, called the Beatitudes. It is a, a series of things that are good, things that, are, that we ought to be doing. But it's something much more than that. The one thing we can't forget in these particular chapters, in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, is it is an exposition of repentance or an exposition of proper living while the kingdom of God is in view. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount is not just a, a good bunch of practical applications. It is characteristics of people who are part of the kingdom of God. That's really what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That's what these Beatitudes are. When we talk about the kingdom of God, uh, we are not talking about the completed, fulfilled kingdom of God which is coming. There is a kingdom of God that is coming that will fulfill and all things will be made right. But there is a kingdom of God that we as believers are a part of now. So his kingdom, where does God's kingdom reign? His kingdom right now reigns in his people. We literally are part of the kingdom of God. We are his children. So the principles that we have covered here in chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the standards which should be found in anybody who is part of the kingdom of God. So when the Lord's giving the Sermon on the Mount, he is specifically aiming that sermon, not at unbelievers, but he's aiming that sermon at people who are part of the kingdom of God, believers. They are characteristics of kingdom children. We might put it that way. Characteristics of kingdom children. Matthew 6 and Luke 11, parts of it are also referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Or it may be referred to as the model prayer. All right? But we've got to keep this in mind regarding this. Regarding the Lord's Prayer and the model prayer. Keep this thought in mind. The scriptures teach us that we are obligated to pray. Even when we don't feel like praying, we are to be praying people. Even when we don't desire or even have an, an inclination to pray, there is an expectation of obedient prayer. Now, prayer could be said about prayer. Prayer is both the greatest privilege and the greatest burden of every believer. Sometimes prayer is easy. Sometimes prayer is the hardest thing you'll do all day. Sometimes prayer is impossible. Sometimes prayer is a privilege. 
Sometimes you can't wait to pray. Sometimes you can't stop praying. Sometimes you wake up in a prayerful attitude and you pray literally the entire day. Other days you go all day and realize, I haven't prayed once. True, isn't it? Sometimes it's a privilege. Sometimes it's a burden. It's a privilege in the times when prayer has been our greatest delight. When we say, I can't wait to pray. But it's also a burden when we are we are, have times when we just cannot get the words out or we're having trouble or difficulty even beginning to pray to the Lord. Now again, one of those hindrances to prayer is personal sin. It's not the only hindrance. But one of those hindrances to, sin, to pray is personal sin. Now the truth here that Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching those that are hearing, he's using examples of people who are misusing prayer and he's, he's talking about people of how prayer ought to be. Now Matthew chapter number six doesn't just deal with prayer. He deals with fasting. He does, deals with good deeds, which are called alms. He, does, he deals with uh, people praying in the synagogues. He gives what's called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there's a lot in this. He deals with fasting. But the staggering truth that the Lord wants us to see, even what we're going to look at tonight, is the truth that prayer can be taken for granted. In other words, I have such a great privilege and such a great opportunity to pray, and yet sometimes I take it for granted that, hey, I'll just pray later or I'll just pray tomorrow. Now, I think this is a fair statement, and it may not be a popular statement, but nobody who is part of the kingdom of God can never pray. In other words, if you're part of the kingdom of God, you're going to be a praying person. Now again, prayer is not determined by how many hours I spend in prayer. Uh, prayer is not determined on how many words I use. Uh, prayer is not about the form as much as it is the attitude or the heart regarding that matter. So in your handout tonight, there's a number of truths that are given here for you. And if you want to follow along, you certainly can. And I'll try to stick to those as closely as I can. But notice Notice the, the very first verse of chapter 6. Jesus isn't so much talking about prayer, but he begins dealing with an attitude. And he talks about alms. And alms are acts of love. Look what he says. Take heed that ye do not your alms or acts of love or acts of charity before men to be seen of them. Now, what he's not saying is he's not saying don't do acts of love, is he? He's saying don't do acts of love to be seen of them. In other words, my motivation of doing good unto somebody else is not so that somebody else sees me do that act of love. Otherwise, here's the consequence. Ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, that attitude is basically this. If I'm doing good acts of love in order to get the, to be seen of someone else, it is clear that I have no reward of the Father. The Father rewards me nothing for that. Now, when we think about that desire, the desire here is, of course, the Father. Number one kind of doesn't, doesn't necessarily go along with verse number one, but number one in your handout, the desire to pray is motivated by the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
In other words, the reason I even want to pray is because the Holy Spirit motivates me to pray. And the Holy Spirit gives me the weight of the authority of God to pray. In other words, I have the ultimate permission to pray. But Jesus starts chapter number 6 by saying, Be careful of your motive. Your motive in prayer doesn't just begin with your motive in prayer. It begins in your motive in general. In other words, if I'm doing acts of charity just to get the approval of men, the odds are my prayer life's going to be wrong too. So when we see this, we see these acts of charity. Now, what is, what is this reward that he's talking about? Uh, the reward is the blessing of God. We often see reward and we think something tangible. We think, what am I going to get? Okay, if, if, I, okay if, I don't, if I do it with the right motive, what do I get? Here's what you get. You get the blessing of God. You see, faith seeks God's blessing. Now notice it's referred to as the Father which is in heaven. That's a title for God. When we, when we think about God and we see the word Father, it's not just a term of relation. It is a title for God. So when you see the word Father, it's not just a relationship. It is also his title. It's used numerous times throughout chapter 6 and chapter 7. And what it does is it reminds us of God's love as a Father, but it also reminds us of the sovereignty of who he is. His majesty, his glory. Spurgeon said about prayer, he said, As we breathe without ceasing, so must we pray without ceasing. Prayer is not just a moment in time. It is literally an attitude that is motivated by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit motivates us to pray. It is also the same motivation for our good deeds and the same motivation for everything that we do. Now, number two in your handout, the Lord Jesus Christ expected his disciples would give, pray, and fast. Okay, the Lord Jesus Christ expected his disciples would give, pray, and fast. Look what he says in verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms. In other words, it's expected of a kingdom child as a follower of Christ when you do them. In other words, it's implied. Everybody see that? It's implied. You're, you, you're going to do them. Do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So the Lord expected his disciples would give, pray, and fast. But what is the principle here? The principle here is the Lord is instructing us that in everything we do, in our almsgiving, in our fasting, in our prayer, we do it in humility, not to be seen of men, and not to receive the praise and the glory for ourselves. He says, if you do that, that's what your reward is. What does he mean by you have your reward? You have the reward, the praise of men. That's if you do it according to that way, or you do it as the hypocrites do, your reward is the praise of men. Now, what's the opposite of what we just talked about? What does the word reward mean? It means God's blessing. So instead of having God's blessing, you have the praise of men. That's the idea here. 
So Jesus says, when thou doest, Jesus assumes his disciples, his followers are going to do these things. He's instructing them how to do it correctly. He's giving them instructions of how to do it unlike the hypocrites. What does the word hypocrite mean? The word hypocrite is a pretender. And he's most likely referring to the Pharisees. Hypocrisy can present itself in anyone who puts on a religious face. If I do anything just to gain the approval of some man, I am a hypocrite. My almsdoing should not be so that I have the praise of men. My fasting should not be so that I have the praise of men. And my prayer should not be so that I have the praise of men. That's what Jesus is working towards. Now, you, you think when you start a study like on prayer, you think we're just going to dive right in and say, okay, what is prayer and how to pray? Jesus is setting a framework here. It's a framework that sets the right attitude in prayer. And that's what he's doing here. That's why the subject tonight is why and how we pray. It's not just jumping into, okay, how do I say it? Do I say, dear God? Do I say, heavenly father? It's so much more than that. So the Lord expected his disciples would give, pray, and fast. Number three, and in verses three and four, the disciple of Christ should give, pray, and fast with a desire to please the Father alone. All right? The disciple of Christ should give, pray, and fast with a desire to please the Father alone. Verse number three, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. You see what he's done here? He's gone from this big picture in verse number one about general alms before men. Verse number two, he talks about don't sound a trumpet. And number three, he gets even more serious. He says, here's how serious this is. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, you can even have the wrong motives with nobody else seeing it. So our Lord commands us to pray and give and fast that does not draw the praise of men. Verse number four, that thine alms may be in secret and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So number one, the Lord commands us to prayer and giving that does not draw the praise of men. But then number two, our Lord sees in secret. And this is key to where we're going. Our Lord sees in secret and rewards us openly. That's what the word of God says in verse 4. Thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Again, what does the word reward mean? The blessing of God. That tells us if this is done right and according, and the how and the why is conquered correctly, God will reward us openly. The blessings of God will be openly given to us. It's an interesting phrase. Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Instead, rather than giving to impress people, the disciples of Christ or the kingdom children should give in secret. So much that they shouldn't even think much of it themselves. Their one motivation and their only motivation is what? To please the Father. When I give anything, even a single dime, I should only do it to please God alone. 
not to please my wife, not to please my children, not to please my church, not to please other religious people that I know or other Christian friends, but to please the Father alone. Now you think about that tonight. Think about when you give, whatever it might be. Am I doing it to please God alone? Again, what is the Lord leading to? He's leading us not just through mechanical uh, applications. It's all about our attitude. Before he ever gets to prayer, he wants to make sure our attitude is right about our giving, how we give, what, how we do these acts of charity. Our prayer to the Lord when we're doing something good should be something like this. Lord, help me to keep my left hand out of it that I may have no other wrong motive or seeking the reward of man. So much our motive should be proper to please God that we are told to leave our left hand out of it. It's a peculiar statement, but I think you get the principle. And we do all that to get to verse 5, and now he introduces the word pray. Again, there's the assumption when you do us thine alms, there's an expectation you're going to do acts of charity. Verse number five, there's an expectation of prayer. Look what he says, and when thou prayest. Okay, so he's, he's assuming there's an expectation. The, the, the God's children should not have to be told, hey, you need to pray. He's saying when you pray, it's a part of your life. It's a characteristic of a person who's in the kingdom of God. But he says this, as you pray or when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So number four in your handout, God does not condemn public prayer, but he does condemn a display of self-righteousness. Okay? God does not condemn public prayer, but he does condemn a display of self-righteousness. We pray publicly at this church, whether it's myself or if I call on someone to pray, that's public prayer. It's prayer that other people can hear. The Lord doesn't condemn public prayer, but what he is saying is he's saying, do not do it with a display of self-righteousness. That's why he mentions the hypocrites. What do the hypocrites do with regard to pray or prayer? They love to stand or pray standing in the synagogues. In other words, he's saying they love to do this because what it does is it displays just how holy they are. It displays how good they are, so they think. They stand in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What is, what is the Lord saying? They do not have the blessing of God. What they do have as their reward is the praise of men. And that's exactly what he said we're not supposed to be seeking. We're not supposed to be seeking the praise of men. So our Lord directs prayer that does what? What is he saying? Well, look at verse number six. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Our Lord is directing to us prayer that recognizes his glory and his goodness. 
all prayer, we're going to talk a lot about this over the next few weeks, but all prayer, all prayer should recognize God's glory and God's goodness. Any prayer that fails to recognize God's glory and goodness is not prayer approved by God. Now, the greatest example, maybe I shouldn't say greatest, but one of the best examples of this is found in Luke chapter number 18, verses 9 through 14. If you want to turn there, Luke 18, you'll know this story. In Luke chapter number 18, verse number 9, the Lord again speaking here, uh, Christ is, is telling parables on prayer. Uh, in chapter number 18 of Luke, he is uh, not only teaching parables on prayer, he's teaching a young ruler on how to attain eternal life. He'll tell of his death, his resurrection, and it even contains an account of him giving sight to a, a blind beggar. But in the middle of this chapter, in verse 9, we have this parable regarding prayer. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. They were praying. The Pharisees' prayer was unapproved. The, the Pharisees' prayer was not giving God the glory for his goodness. It was about him taking all the credit about his own righteousness. The, the publican on the other side, he could not even lift his eyes up to heaven. He smote himself. That was a sign of deep grief, saying, God, I just hope you'll be merciful to me. Folks, we got to remember that when we pray, we're praying with mercy. We're praying that God continues to extend mercy to us. Prayer that is without God's glory, without God's goodness in view is prayer that is not approved. Our Lord never approves of prayer when we're trying to obtain credit for our devotion. All right? Our Lord does not approve when we pray to obtain credit for our supposed Devotion. In other words, if we pray thinking that God should reward us because of what we consider to be devotion to him, we're praying amiss. In other words, we pray as if we're doing God a favor. Listen, it's only by his mercy that we even have the privilege to pray. It's only by his goodness and his glory that we're even invited to pray. Our prayer to the Lord should be, Lord, let me never be so defiled as to pray unto you with an intent of gaining praise for myself. When I pray, it should never be about gaining some type of praise. I should never praise or pray hoping God will praise me. Is everybody following that? 
And people, you can pray this way. There are people who pray almost as if I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray such a, a, a majestic prayer that God is going to praise me for my prayer abilities. We ought never do that. It's never to be a display of self-righteousness. Prayer is never to be about God rewarding my supposed devotion. Because let's remember, even my supposed righteous devotion, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. Having this proper view of God is what helps us have a proper view of prayer. One of the reasons that churches are completely uh, stagnant when it comes to this is because, and stagnant with prayer is because they don't really understand who God is. We approach God in such a casual way that we think we can come to God any way we want. We think we can kind of throw a few crumbs of prayer his way and we think God approves of that. And we can come to God and give him all the list of the things that we're good at and how we ought to be rewarded. And we may not say it, but our motive is I want someone else to hear just how good of a prayer I am. And I want them to see how religious I am and how devoted I am. God despises that. And that's what's being taught here. So God doesn't condemn public prayer, but he does condemn a display of self-righteousness. Now look at verse number seven. He says, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now what's interesting to me is the connection between vain repetitions, he connects those to heathen. I got to say, I, I've read this chapter numerous times in my life. I'm not sure I really made the connection. He compares vain repetitions to what the heathen do. Heathen are people who are outside the kingdom of God. Heathen are people who are not part of his family. So he said these vain repetitions are not characteristics of a kingdom child. They are characteristics of someone who's not part of the family of God. Now, these vain repetitions, what are those? Uh, and there's been a lot of arguments over the years about what vain repetitions are. But let's go on and read this verse. As the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So here's the idea. The heathens pray thinking that the more they pray and how they pray, the more likely they are to be heard. Everybody following that? That's what the heathen's mentality is. The heathen's mentality, those who are outside the family of God or the party of God, they think the more I pray or these vain repetitions, the more I say it and repeat it, the more likely I am to get it. Okay, that's the idea here. Very simplified, but that's, that's the idea here. So repeating a form of a prayer over and over seems very religiously devoted. In other words, if a man came in or a woman came in and maybe she, uh, he or she took a place on one of these pews and began to repeat a prayer over and over again. Let's, let's use the example of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, that's what the Lord shows us. We're going to learn a whole lot about what the Lord's Prayer really is, what its purpose is. But let's say that person came in and sat in for the entire time we were here, they repeated that over and over and over again. To human ears, that seems like a person pretty devoted to God, doesn't it? 
I mean, to, to just an average here, they're going to say, wow, that person's repeated the Lord's Prayer a hundred times in an hour. Now, that's what the heathen think. They think repetitious prayers are going to gain a hearing with God. Number five, here's the truth. Number five, prayers are not heard because of their length, but when they are offered in faith. Prayers are not heard because of their length, but when they are offered in faith. In other words, repetitious prayer does not gain God's ear. The prayer that gains God's ear is prayer that's offered in faith. Although a repeating form of a prayer seems to be something to be praiseworthy, it is not praiseworthy to God. Just because you repeated the Lord's Prayer a hundred times in one hour doesn't mean God says, I'm going to praise you for your religious devotion. Now, there are examples in Scripture, but I'm going to give you three tonight. There are three examples of very short, effective prayers to show us, just a, a very quick overview. Short prayers are effective prayers. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, chapter number 32, and these are all going to be very brief. Exodus 32, and look at verse 31. Exodus 32, verse number 31. This is a prayer of Moses. There's an entire study we could do on this prayer. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book, which thou hast written. And here's the answer. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. This was the intercessory prayer by Moses. Moses' entire prayer is verse 32 and part of verse 31. That's his prayer. It was an effective prayer. It was short. And then in the New Testament, back to Luke 23, verse 42. Luke 23, verse 42. And you'll know this prayer. Man hanging on the cross next to the Lord, one of the two men, one of the two thieves. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Here's the answer. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What was that thief's prayer? Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. There was no flowery repetition. There was, there was no majestic words. It was simply, Lord, remember me. And that prayer was heard and answered. And then in the book of Acts, chapter number 7. Acts 7, verse number 60. Of course, this is the stoning of Stephen. And we often don't think about this as being a prayer, but this is exactly what it is. The Bible tells us as Stephen is uh, being stoned, there's a young man by the name of Saul who is consenting to all this. Verse 59 of Acts 7 says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's entire prayer was this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That was his entire prayer. That prayer, all three of those prayers were directed at the glory and the goodness of God. They were all directed at God the Father. They were all directed on who God is. What Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 6 is he is presenting to us a promise that prayer is heard. Secret prayer in the closet is heard. Secret prayer when nobody else hears you is heard. The prayer that is not rewarded is the prayer that is done with the motive of receiving the praise of men. That's exactly what the the application is here for tonight. Another quote from Spurgeon, he said this, True prayer is measured by weight and not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. Sometimes the best prayer you can pray is help instead of a great thought out, great oration using wonderful words and telling God all that he needs to know. Well, here's what this last principle for tonight is. Verse number eight of Matthew six. Be not ye therefore like unto them. Who's he referring to? He's referring to the heathen in the vain repetition. I love this. For your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Isn't it amazing to know that this God we read about in Psalm 71, we read that together at the beginning of our evening, he's the same faithful God throughout our young years, our old years, and even into eternity. It is the same God who before you even speak it, he already knows what you need. That's an amazing truth. I don't know what you may need tonight. I don't know exactly uh, what's going on in your life necessarily. But God is not telling us to pray because he needs information. Have you ever thought that God needed to have the full details? Sometimes we think that. I need, to, I need to give God all the information so that he can make the right decision. We don't pray for information. The question's been asked often about if God's sovereign and God is providential, then why pray? That's because we have the wrong attitude, the wrong reason why we pray to begin with. We're not praying for God's information. We're praying for God's glory. We're praying for God's goodness. Prayer is not about telling God what we need. He already knows what we need. So as we study this over the weeks, and that's what the Lord's Prayer is about. The Lord's Prayer is about a, it's a, it's a model of what prayer ought to look like, not the exact words to pray. God already knows what you have need of. So what really is the heart of prayer? As we're at the beginning of this series, we've got a lot we're going to cover. But the heart of prayer is communion. It's communion with God. How do we pray right when all of our attention is on him? That's how we pray right. How do, I know I'm, how do I know I'm praying right when I'm praying with all of my attention on God, not on myself, not on people applauding me, not on the praise of men? It's, it's not just in my prayer. It's, it's in my giving. He's going to talk later about in the fasting 
The heart of prayer and the right way to pray is in communion with God. All of my attention is on him. All of your attention. Why do we pray? Because he's commanded us to pray. Even if God needed information, if he needed, which he doesn't, there's a command to pray. People say, I don't need to pray. God already knows. That's disobedience. We're told to pray. God assumes that his kingdom children will pray. And he tells them, I want you to pray a certain way. I want you to pray not for the praise of men, but to pray that I will reward thee. Pray with my glory and my goodness at the forefront. When we think about prayer, our private prayers should be veiled by something. It should be veiled by privacy, secrecy. This will help us with the sinful ambition. Sometimes it's not good for people to pray publicly. Have you ever thought about that? It's not always good. Some people, the worst thing you can do is ask them to pray publicly. Why? Because their motivation would lead them to sinfully desire someone to be impressed by their prayer. Now, we may not know who those people are, but the best time of prayer is in secret. Sometimes people will ask the question, but well, we don't seem to pray as a church as much as I think we should. There's a reason for that. You know, sometimes even our prayer in a corporate gathering like this, our prayers can get off track and start to become about us and not about God. And it takes a very, very mature church to get to a place that understands prayer is not about us. It's actually about God. I have, I have not found a single church that has fully grasped that concept yet. How do you pray with only God as the center of attention. He's going to have to root out a lot in a lot of us, maybe all of us, to be able to even be able to understand what he's trying to teach them here. These, these are not just principles. You can walk out of here tonight and say, boy, I've got this. No, these are things that are going to be a lifetime of every time I pray, am I praying with the wrong motive? Every time I do an act of charity, an act of love, am I doing it with the wrong motive? Am I doing with my right hand what I, and let my left hand in on it? These are principles that are not just minor things. Prayer, God rewards those who seek him by faith. The key is seeking him by faith. Here's what's comforting to know about this. It's comforting to know that what the believer does for the glory of Christ is never neglected and never goes unheard. Do you know if you truly pray a prayer that's for the glory of God, it will never go unheard and unanswered? Not a single one. If it's for the glory of God, every one of those prayers will be answered. What the Lord has given us here as a beginning is just a form of a prayer that brings us great comfort. What's the comfort we know? And we'll see this over the weeks too. Anything we ask for God's glory, for his goodness, in his words, there is no unreasonable request with God if it's asked according to his, with his glory in mind. Think about that. There is nothing unreasonable if it is truly asked with God's glory in mind. Now, again, people will struggle with this because they'll say, I went to prayer and I, I had God's glory in mind. 
That's why we don't fully get this yet. We don't fully understand how it is to pray with none of our own motive in it. It is, it, is a, it is a sign of spiritual maturity that I think all of us, including myself, have not yet fully arrived at this. However, I want to leave you with this thought. In John 14, 13, Jesus said this, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, prayer is both the greatest privilege and burden of every true believer. Let's just look at that quote that's in your handout there. We'll finish with this quote from Jonathan Edwards. It says, The true spirit of prayer is no other than God's own spirit dwelling in the hearts of the saints. And as this spirit comes from God, so doth it naturally tend to God in holy breathings and pantings. It naturally leads to God to converse with him by prayer. So this is just the introduction. Next week, we're going to get into the actual Lord's Prayer, but we're going to take certain phrases and we're going to study phrases of that prayer individually. Phrases like, Our Father, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thine is the power and the glory. These are all individual. There's, there's a lesson in every single one of those. So we'll take this journey together as we think about uh, these particular things. As we finish tonight, I'm going to leave you with Ephesians chapter number 3, verses 20 and 21. And then we'll uh, close in prayer. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. The Bible says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundant, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. All right, let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer.